Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's discussion is going to be very interesting and it is particularly relevant for anyone who has an interest in creating a positive difference in the world and having an impact at a grassroots level. And if that's the kind of thing that interests you and you're wondering what are the various avenues and options you can explore to do something like this, then today's discussion is going to be very helpful because our guest today is someone who went through exactly that journey, that thought process, and she's done some pretty interesting thing over the last few years. So our guest today is Alexandra Breedlove, who also goes by Ali. And a couple of years ago, Ali held a regular corporate job. She was a management consultant with the well-known consulting firm, A.T. Carney. And she could have continued there. It would have been a steady, well-paying job. But slowly, she realized that she wanted to do something different, that she wanted to create a difference in the world around her and help those who haven't been able to benefit from the economic development around them yet. And so eventually, Ali ended up quitting her job and she moved to Tanzania full-time. She ended up living there for five years. And over those five years, Ali worked on a variety of projects. She ended up working as a contractor with the Acumen Fund, which is a non-profit venture fund that focuses on investments that seek to alleviate poverty. She worked with another organization called TechnoServe, which again tries to reduce poverty through business. And eventually she went on to become the country representative for Tanzania for the Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund, which is an Africa-based challenge fund that aims to reduce poverty by supporting private sector businesses that have a positive impact on rural communities. And so today's discussion is going to be focused on just going through Ali's journey, her experiences, the kind of things that she worked on, and she'll also be sharing advice and insights and recommendations for anyone who's interested in doing something similar. So I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Interestingly enough, Ali now is in business school. She's just starting out at Cambridge University, and she now hopes to marry the benefits of business with her dream to create a long-term sustainable impact. So I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And without further ado, let's welcome Ali. Ali, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. No, definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I understand that it's late Sunday night for you at your end. Yes. (laughs) So I hope that we don't take a lot of your time. It's already, what, uh, 9.30 p.m.? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Ali is in London for our listeners. She just, uh, she's just starting business school at Cambridge University, right? Yes. Yeah. Just last month. Oh, yeah. And how's that going so far? It's been quite different to be back in school, but it's going well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you want any tips, I can share some tips with you. I was in a similar position not too long ago. And we'll definitely want to know what were, what made you join business school but we'll get to that so Ali your journey is really very interesting and if anyone of you want to check out her LinkedIn profile you should but she's done a lot of very interesting things and I'm really curious about what made you eventually quit your job and move to Tanzania overall I mean that's a big decision so before we get there 
could you tell us a little bit about your background and what your plan was initially for your career before you decided to you know move into international development sure i i will say that i changed my mind a number of times throughout my i guess when i was younger when i was just starting out um when i was at university i thought about going to medical school for a while and so took a lot of classes related to that i ended up studying engineering and and going into consulting um and spent 3 years with AT Carney which were really great i learned a lot and had a lot of opportunity to, to do a lot of interesting things for a number of different clients i worked primarily in the retail sector in consumer goods and and in the apparel sector as well so although i will say it was certainly exhausting at the time looking back <laughs> at it i'm really glad <laughs> that i was there and as a typical consultant I 2 years after I started at AT Carney I started looking at going to business school um along with many of my peers that had started at the same time as me and I shortlisted the schools that I was interested in and started working on my applications and tried to write the essay about why I wanted to go to business school. Mm. And I sat there for a couple of weeks probably trying to figure out why I wanted to go to business school <laughs> yeah. before I realized that I actually didn't. <laughs> um, I I though I thought the work at ET Carney was interesting and challenging I didn't feel like I was making any real difference or any real impact and I had a quite naive I think view that I could I could do quite a bit um, hmm. in having an impact if I just did something different and so started looking at that point at, at what options I had to try to try something new This is uh, and uh, so uh, thanks for sharing this and can you tell us a little bit about at that point in time what was your definition of of creating a difference or having an impact which you f- which you felt you weren't been able to do That's a good question. Um I I guess I felt and I'm not really sure where it came from at that point in my life but that there were a lot of people that were suffering and that were struggling and that were were in a much uh, worse off situation than I was and I wanted to do something about it so I can I think to some to some degree I think it's what people think of when they decide to go volunteer in some developing country for 2 weeks yeah um, I think it's a pretty similar thought process except that I wanted to do it for longer I yes. see Okay. And was this how did this realization come about? It was slowly over probably over a couple of years. I was certainly interested in it and in similar things when I was younger when I was looking at going to medical school. I was really interested in working with Doctors Without Borders. So I'd always had an interest in working in the developing world and also a bit of wanderlust and just wanting to try something new and be somewhere different. I do remember though specifically around that time it it was right around the time of the actually right around the time that I was working on these applications I had had a friend that had gone to Haiti for a couple of months to volunteer after the earthquake in in 2010 and I would chat with him over email or over the phone I guess while he was there and I 
felt like I should be there. I don't know what I thought I could do to contribute. Um, I wasn't able to take any time off of work, unfortunately, to go and try and do that, although I'm not sure how that might have changed what I ended up doing today. Um, but I just, I really felt like there was something somehow that I could do something to help in situations like that, or even just in in countries that were worse off than the U.S. Mm, okay. So, and and these discussions, so you were you were working at AD Carney at that time, but one of your friends was in Haiti and he, he was probably sharing his experiences with you. And so it, it sort of sowed the seed, you would say, even though, yes, I mean, as you're saying that this is something that you've sort of had an interest in for a long period of your life. Uh, but that was probably the time that it, it decided to become more than just some sort of a far off idea. Yeah, I think it, it clicked mm. around the time when I was working on applications and couldn't figure out why I wanted to go to business school and really wanted to go and volunteer and do something. Right, right. And so what, what did you do next? Because this is such a vast field, right? So what were your next steps? Yeah, so the next thing that I started looking at was maybe going back and getting a degree related to that. So I looked at Master's of Public Policy degrees um, and ultimately decided that I should probably make sure this was something I really wanted to do before I spent three years and, and a lot of money going and getting a degree in public policy. Uh, so I'm very glad I decided not to do that. Mm-hmm. So I started just trying to go through any network that I possibly could to find people working in this field. Um, I met with uh, friends of my parents, contacts of my parents who worked Uh, One of them, I remember, worked for Habitat for Humanity. um, And I eventually was connected through a neighbor, actually, um, of my parents. Their son had been volunteering with an organization in Tanzania. And we got in touch. We talked about it a little bit. And I found out that they were actually accepting applications for the following year. Mm. A new group of volunteers. Mm. And so without knowing a whole lot of what I was getting myself into, I applied for that hmm. and was accepted and decided to go. Interesting. So I, you know, I am actually very curious about this because off and on, even I've contemplated if I want to do something. So I probably will be asking you a lot of questions. But so Tanzania, it seems happened simply because you knew someone who was already working with an organization there and he was able to connect you with that organization and you got accepted. Yes. So it, it worked out really well with a network. And I think that's a really great place to start in looking for jobs like this, because mm-hmm. a lot of jobs are, I think in all sectors are never actually advertised, but there are a number of websites that advertise jobs like this. Oh, um, okay. Can you na- share the names of some of these websites? Um, there's one called DevX, which I've, D-E-V-E-X, okay. which I've used even later in my career and my time in Tanzania to search for jobs. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a good resource for listeners to look at. So then going back to your, to your decision to move to Tanzania. So you found this organization, you decided to go over there, but there's so much to that decision, right? So first of all, what was, what, what was your profile like? What, what was the profile that you were volunteering for? So it was a little bit similar to the Peace Corps. And so they would send volunteers primarily from the U.S. into villages, rural areas in Tanzania to work with the communities there to, to come up with grassroots ideas for projects. Um, and it was quite vague. Uh, 
and so that's the what I what I applied for. And most of the people that that went in through that program in the same way that it is with the Peace Corps had had just come out of university or perhaps had worked for one year hmm. after okay. university. Wow, that's that's really as you said, that's so broad, right? So basically the idea is that you would you would go there, assess the situation, try and understand what are the problems and then come up with ideas for things that can be done to improve the situation. Yeah, and it was primarily agricultural based because they were everyone in rural Tanzania farms. Mm. And so it was looking at agriculture and income generating activities. Got it, got it. And then another thing which I'm very, very curious about is that on one side, you were working at a very well-known consulting firm. It's a great job. You were getting paid well. You were here in the United States. Your parents were here. And then you decided to just move to Tanzania, right? Which is a completely different country, culturally very different. Was that decision, like, was that a tough decision? I don't think it actually was. I know a lot of people thought I was crazy, but... (laughs) It was a, a point in my life I was still pretty young, had some good experience. Consulting allows you to save quite a bit of money. So I, it, it was pretty easy for me to decide that going over to Tanzania for nine months was, which is how long I initially mm-hmm. intended to stay, um, wasn't, wasn't too big of a change. I, it was kind of an adventure and I like that. Okay. And so initially your plan was to be there just for nine months and work with this organization in this role? Yes. Okay. All right. So now tell us a little bit about that. Um, and if you can tell us a little bit about this organization or what were what was what was your first day in Tanzania? In Tanzania like? Actually, can you tell us exactly which city you were in in Tanzania when you actually yeah. landed there? Yeah. So I, I actually, so though I thought initially that I would be going to a village when I applied for the position, they actually decided that year to start working on a project in the main city in Tanzania, which is Dar es Salaam, mm. um, a city which now has about 5 million people in it. Mm. Okay. And they were looking at working with the market. They'd been working in a couple of villages for a few years. And one of the biggest problems that, that the farmers were facing is that they didn't have anywhere to sell their produce. And so they, the organization wanted to start a project directly with the largest market in the country in which is was a quasi-government organization to try to increase access for those farmers to that market i see okay so you were basically trying to find different ways in which the farmers could sell more of their produce primarily through through this market that was already in place yes yes and we we started out with a lot of different ideas and a lot of different ways of looking about it but that was the Hmm. Okay. End goal. And can you talk to us a little bit about how are these, like, how is the situation on the ground when you're working in in places like these, right? As in, I I would imagine that you, you know you can do a project like this in a consulting form also, but the client in those cases is a, is for the most part much more sophisticated, has many more systems in place. Whereas when you go to a place like this, there are more often than not, I'm guessing, not a lot of systems in place, right? So how was reality compared to what you might have thought? It was a really big shock. Um, So one of the things that we knew we needed to do initially was to gather information on the prices and the quantity of of produce flowing through this market. Uh, And 
there was a statistician working at the market and we were quite excited about that because that means that there was some information available, but because it was a quasi government institution and it didn't really make a lot of money to to support all of its, the needs of the the market and the building and, and everything it needed to do, they didn't have many computers. So the, the statistician did not have a computer and what he would do is he would go around every day and ask vendors what price they were selling mm. their say tomatoes for and how many tomatoes they would have. And he would survey a handful of, of vendors and then he would write them down. And at the end of every month he would make a summary sheet and he would file it in a filing cabinet. And he had this information for probably at least 10 years, maybe, wow. maybe longer than that. Yeah. Just sitting in a filing cabinet on a piece of paper and one of the first things that we did was to try and actually put that all into a computer and see what we could get yeah. out of it, um, which which is something very similar to what we would do in consulting. It would already be in the computer, but you would then try to figure out what does this mean? What is it telling us? How can we hmm. think about you know hmm. how we can solve the, the problem that we're looking at based on this information? Yeah. Um, so this, this is so, actually a very good point. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about how, what is it like? executing a project like this on the ground like just take this this project as an example but if you can give us a rough idea just to get, illustrate that how some executing something like this might be in and of itself quite a challenge yeah it there were a lot of challenges with it i think a lot of them came from the fact that we didn't really have a good understanding of the culture and the differences in the culture in tanzania from the u.s which are are very big. It's a very, very different place. And so it would be everything from trying to meet with the the director of the market and not being able to set up a meeting with him because he didn't set up meetings for any specific day or time. And so we were told, come back tomorrow or, you know, come back next week. And we would say when, and they'd say next week, and say <laughs> Monday, and they'd say, okay, what time? Monday. Oh, what so you're time? saying they, they the just, morning? They just don't set up meetings at all. Uh, I mean, people do. I, not, I certainly there were lots of meetings that were set up in my time there, but I think at this particular institution, it was just kind of if the boss is there, you can talk to him. Okay. If he's not there, he's yeah. not going to be there, and so I'm not setting up a meeting for him. So there was right. just kind of this uh, very different attitude towards time, hmm. I think was, was a big thing. So even if we had set up a meeting and a lot of times we would, we would eventually get someone to agree, you know, we'd come 10 a.m. on Monday hmm. and then we'd come 10 a.m. on Monday and we'd sit there for an hour and a half waiting, not because anyone was being intentionally rude or ignoring us, anything like that. It just is a completely different attitude towards time hmm. um, and, and what you're doing. And there was also a really different attitude, I think, towards work. Um, and I think it probably was just because I came from a consulting background more than anything where people, you know, work all the time and far too much, um, to go from that to, to a place where it's really much more, a much more laid back work culture and you work until your day ends and then you leave no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, it was challenging at times to, to, yeah. kind of handle the differences it took right. me a couple of months to 
kind of calm yeah. down and settle into that to be very I can, different. I can imagine that. Much yeah. slower pace. For sure, yeah. And I'm sure it must have been quite a cultural shock also, right? Like, did you, I mean, you were now in a different country, right? You you were, I'm sure, a minority, right? You were a white woman. Was that, did you ever feel out of place and in just sort of gelling in with everyone and, you know, getting the information you wanted from the people that you were working with? Like, I'm just trying to understand that, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how was that like, right? Because you were suddenly in a very, very different environment. Yeah, it it was very different. And there were certainly a lot of challenges, uh, a little bit work-wise, but also just in, in getting around and doing things. And as a woman and as a foreign woman in Tanzania, there are Certainly people were surprised to see us in this market. They didn't get a lot of tourists. Tanzania is very, very full of tourists, but not in this particular part of the city. So people were surprised. Um, There was also from some people an attitude that, you know, women, that that men knew more than women. And so Mm -hmm. they would, people would, more in, in rural areas, but certainly in some of the markets that we looked at as we started to work in other markets, that would speak to, only to my male colleagues and would kind mm-hmm. of ignore with that, you know, we could ask them questions, but they would respond to our male colleagues. Yeah. And um, as the, the person that should have the, the answer and the information. Um, it was also challenging in more in rural areas, but also in the city because we really didn't, I really didn't know much Swahili, which is the language spoken there. Oh, right. And yeah. while the people that I worked with on an everyday basis spoke English, most people around did not. Um, And so that was a really big initial challenge and and probably a continuing challenge. I don't think my Swahili was ever very good. Can you you speak in Swahili now? Like at least broken Swahili? Well, some. (laughs) Some things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you were there for five years, so I'm sure you picked up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and this is not to say that, you know, wow, you know, going there is just full of challenges. That's not what the intent is. It's just to try and illustrate that it's not easy at all to actually get something done when you're in such a different environment, right, that you don't really have a good understanding of. So that's all. And so that's why I'm just trying to understand, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what are the kind of issues that you ran into? But on the on the other side, what were, were, were there any things that pleasantly surprised you or just things that you were just very, that you liked? Yeah, I think one of the, I, I guess probably what I liked most about Tanzania were the people that I met there. Um, it's such a welcoming and caring place um and it was just really lovely to to get to know people and to spend time with people and and also to have have people just be willing to talk to you about what we were doing what they were doing and just a really engaged or generally really engaged uh, group of people mm. Okay. All right. So let's go back to then your, you know, just sort of your five years in Tanzania. So you started out with this nonprofit organization and you were working on this project, which was focused on helping farmers sell more of their produce. And initially your plan was to stay in Tanzania for nine months, right? So 
Yeah. That's it seems kept on increasing. So tell us a little bit about that. First of all, like once that project was o- was over, did you consider coming back or what made you go to a different organization or a different project? Yeah, so I I was as the nine months started coming to a close, the organization gave everyone an option of extending the their time in Tanzania. Um, there was a new group of volunteers coming in a couple of months later, and I thought it was really important to have a continued presence in the market so that they would remember what what we had talked about doing and to make sure that things continued um, as we had planned. And so I convinced them to let me stay for, for a year, for an extra three months mm. beyond, or I guess it was a little bit longer than that, probably an extra four months beyond what was initially agreed. Um, and so I continued working on that. And one of the other things that we actually started while we were there that's relevant to what I ended up doing next is is we spent a lot of time in the first couple of months going around and talking to different nonprofits, primarily a couple of businesses as well, that were working with farmers and trying to understand what everyone was doing and where we might be able to add some value to what was already existing in the country. And we thought that there was a great opportunity to increase the networking and the information flow between a lot of these organizations that we met. And so we tried to start what I think in the U.S. would be something like a meetup Hmm. of people that were interested. And so we'd have different topics and we'd have speakers or we'd have panels and and then have some networking and conversations. Um, So I also wanted to stay to make sure those continued so that all of those people we had convinced to come to these events every, every month or every other month, I'm not, I can't remember how often it was, wouldn't just forget about it in the the three and a half months that there wasn't anyone working on it from our side. Um, So it was, it was during these, these meetup networking sessions that I met somebody who was working for the Acumen Fund in Tanzania and a couple of months later, uh, heard from him that they had had something happen with a summer intern that was supposed to start and wasn't. they weren't able to start. And they had some work that they needed done quite quickly and were looking for someone who could act as a short-term consultant mm. for a couple of months with them. And the, the time overlapped with my time at the first organization, but I um, asked them if I could, I, I got both of them to agree to let me do each project part-time. Um, And so I spent a couple of months consulting for Acumen Fund and looking at one of the investments that they were currently evaluating at that time. I see. Okay. All right. What was the project with Acumen Fund? Uh, It was a company in an agricultural company in Ethiopia. And you were basically, they were evaluating whether they should invest in that company or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were starting to do I guess a bit of due diligence on that company and looking at at making recommendations to their investment committee um, in the next couple of months. Got it. Got it. So, and all of this sort of this, um, these meetups that you were doing with other, other organizations, all of this, I mean, how did you find these organizations? I mean, you are new to this country. Was this through the, your earlier organization or? Um, So we, Basically, we just started looking up companies um, online, or looking up nonprofits and NGOs online. Hmm. And you know, once we met a couple, they would start connecting us to other people. So we would, you know, go in and say, "Oh, well, what? You know, can you tell us about what you're doing in this space?" And they would tell us something, and then they'd say, "Oh, but you know, 
such and such organization is also working on that. You should talk to them. And so then that led us to different, more and more organizations. And then once we started running these events, people would tell other people and forward on the invitations. Got it. Um, okay. And when you when you were done with your nine months, by the end of those nine months, had you figured out what kind of areas were of interest to you? Um, not exactly. I was certainly interested in in business um, and working with businesses, which is why why the short term consultancy with Acumen was was of particular interest for me. But I really still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And so at the time, I was looking for a lot of different jobs and had applied to things completely unrelated to that as well. Um, so I was still yeah. still not exactly sure what I yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. No, I'm just curious because, uh, you know, this this field is something that, uh, you know, I personally have no idea about. And I'm just curious, how, how does it work in international development? And another thing which I would, you know, if you can share... Were you getting paid throughout this time? No, I wasn't getting paid. Um, we had raised money to fund our living expenses and, and costs to some degree. Um, though it did really help that I had savings okay. left over from, from consulting. Got um, it. Okay. So you raised money to fund your living in Tanzania. That's interesting. How did you do that? Mostly through networks. Um, another reason why it was really helpful to have worked in consulting and to be able to tell them all that I was that was going in and doing this work in Tanzania, people were, were really excited and were really generous with their, um, their oh, money okay. coming in. I also applied for a grant uh, from a local organization in the city where I grew up. Oh, so I see. Okay, so you helpful. raised money to go to Tanzania while you were in the U.S. Okay. Okay, that's uh, yes, and and also while I was in, I continued to raise money while I was in Tanzania. And what was your pitch? And I I would love to know how did you convince them to pay you as opposed to someone else? Because I'm sure there are many people like you, right, who are volunteering in Tanzania or other places. Yeah. So the mission of the organization was to reduce food insecurity and and increase income of rural people in Tanzania. So. It, it was kind of an easy sell because I really wasn't looking for that much money. So to convince people that I knew, mm. and it was mostly people that I knew and mostly people that I knew pretty well to give even just a bit of money um, Can you, was pretty easy. So this was the mission statement of the organization that you went, went to work with initially? Yes. Okay. And how much money did you raise? Um, just just a range. Like was it like a something few around ten thousand dollars? Okay, all right. So basically, to cover your living expenses and a little bit of yeah. travel. Okay, got it. So all right. So throughout this time, you weren't really getting paid, and Acumen fu- Acumen Fund also did not pay you. No, I think they they gave me a small stipend. But okay, yeah, I was still still essentially volunteering. Okay. I mean, most of these roles, when you're when you're volunteering for these, well, let's not say volunteering. Volunteering generally means that you're not getting paid. But if you're working for these various nonprofits, is it mostly unpaid or maybe a, a stipend of some sort? No, they're actually, most of the job positions are paid um, okay. because I was trying to do something quite different than my experience. And it was 
easier for me to find things that were okay. not paid um, initially. And, and so I eventually did find a job that paid me. Okay. Um, so it's also, so for you, it was more about getting a foot in the door, at least in the beginning. And then yeah, you keep going. And, and gaining some experience and, and some networks. Okay. I see. So you decided to work at Acumen Fund then. So you, oh, actually you were working, you're doing both part-time, your, in, your early organization and then Acumen Fund. And what was this Acumen Fund project like? It was really interesting. And I think it was, um, I really enjoyed getting back into dealing in some way with businesses um, and looking at the type of impact that a business could have on on rural communities. It was something that I, I felt was missing from the first position that I had, hmm. the first organization that I worked with. And so it was really good to see that there were businesses out there that I hadn't really previously known all that much about before I moved to Tanzania that were, um, that were working certainly to make a profit, um, but also to do something good for, for the community around them. Can you, can you share with us what your typical day was in, in either of these projects, right? So were you generally sort of sitting in a room somewhere, working on your laptop or were you out there in the field? Like I'm just trying to understand what are the kind of activities you did on a typical day? It was really, really mixed. So I did spend quite a bit of time sitting in an office, um, working on my computer and contacting people and reading different reports and, and things like that. And certainly when I was doing the consulting for Acumen, a lot of the time was spent spent on my computer looking at the, the proposal um, and looking at, at what they might do. But when I first started, I, I spent quite a bit more time in the field. So we would spend uh, you know, a week at a time out with my colleagues that were working in the rural communities, talking to farmers there and trying to understand from them what we could do to help them. Um, since that was our aim was to, to help right. farmers that were already working with the organization. And those days were really very, very different than days in the city. And so they would, um, my colleagues that were, were out there were doing everything from getting water and carrying it back to their house. They would you know, stop off at someone's house to have a cup of tea mm-hmm. and chat with them for a while. And they really were spending because they were just walking around different areas in some of the kind of more spread out villages that they were working in would spend hours walking, just walking from place to place every day. Yeah. Um, so it was very, very different than than life in the city where we would have meetings um, in different places around the city, although we t- generally took the buses and they weren't all that much faster. Uh, <laughs> at times, traffic was really bad there. Wow. And uh, I mean, this must have been quite an experience, right? So you were going to these farmers' houses one by one and conducting these interviews almost. And did you, did you usually have a translator with you to help you with the communication? Not really. Um, so the, the other volunteers that were actually placed in the villages did a much, were much better at learning Swahili because they, they had to use it every day. Um, they couldn't really get by without using it. And so they can help, they could help translate and um, particularly as the, our time in Tanzania as a group kind of got longer. People got better at Swahili. Um, 
at that point, most a lot of our questions were quite basic. And so with some preparation, we could go in and, and know what we were saying. And also most of the people we were talking to were used to answering questions for people that didn't really understand their language. And so mm-hmm. they were very patient with trying to give really simple answers to right. what in some ways were not simple questions. Right. Um, okay. And when you were doing this kind of research, right, were there any things that you learned which were unexpected? There were I'm sure there were things that were much more unexpected at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to think back on them now because I, I think a lot of them sort of became expected. Um, one thing that I that I'm not sure if I was surprised about, but generally people were were quite risk averse, and so until um, they could see that something was working well, they were really hesitant to test out whatever, whatever somebody was doing. So if somebody had introduced a new crop, um, that was going to have a much better market, people tended to be really hesitant about, about doing that, which was, which was very understandable. And so not really surprising uh, because if, if your income is coming from agriculture, testing, doing something different and doing something unknown and then not having any income come the end of the year was really, really risky for people to do. But equally there were some, some people that were really, good at farming and really willing to take risks and, and do something different. And so you talk to, to people that seem very unassuming and then would start telling you about all of the premium vegetables that they were growing in their, their garden and testing out new varieties and, and working. Yeah. And you know, this is a, this is a very, very good point. And it, it reminds me of this critique that, you know, I, I mean, it, this is not a field that I have, personal experience in but it's a critique that I've heard about and read which is that a lot of times when you work in organizations like this such as Peace Corps and other organizations which are trying to improve the conditions in these areas uh, a lot of people come in with good intentions right Uh, like you want to really make a difference but because you are not from that area you you are still limited in your understanding and that is completely expected which which can sometimes bring into question the the actual impact that you have, right? So you might come up with a very good plan, but there are all of these challenges that you run into in terms of implementation, right? So your idea might have merit, but then no one wants to actually execute it because of, you know, maybe they're risk averse or something else. So was that something that you saw at all? Yeah, I, you know, going around in villages, you could see a lot of, failed development projects from the past. Mm. Um, so you would be walking past someone's farm and you'd see that that someone had come in and built them irrigation channels, which had broken and were full of weeds and clearly nobody had used in years. Mm. Um, so a really great intention for people to have, to be able, be able to irrigate their farms, but without really an, a, any plan on what was going to happen yeah. after it was built. Um, so it was something that that through um, my work initially in Tanzania or in, and the work that the organization was doing that they were really conscious about trying to make sure that everything that they did was was actually led by the community and and the volunteers were more acting as facilitators, um, which was really challenging in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to get that, that balance. Right. But then also was something that really led me to believe even more in the power of business to have an impact in this way, um, on, at a grassroots level, because the business is, is much more long lasting than a, than a development project. Mm. Um, so if a business is going in and the business is going to buy yellow peppers from farmers in this community and, you know, I guess if the business goes under, then that's a problem. But as long as the business succeeds yeah. and the farmers yeah. have a market, as opposed to, you know, the funding for the project that a, that a development project might come in would last two years and they would be helping. And then, you know, the, the, whatever organization is implementing, it would be helping for two years and then the two years would end and they would leave and the farmers would have all these yellow peppers and nowhere to, nothing to do with them. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a very good point. I mean, that is, that is sort of the belief of, a lot of people who, who, and I, I guess I would put myself in that category where you can say that the incentive of profit, as long as you can align everyone around the right incentives, you can get a lot of these things in place. And that's probably a much more effective way than at least some of these nonprofit initiatives to actually have a long lasting impact or sustainable impact. And one more thing which caught my attention is as you were saying that you know how you would spend a lot of your time walking across these these villages or from village to village or sometimes you might take buses um was safety at all a concern at any point not in tanzania Hmm. Um, tanzania is a really safe country Hmm. um so i mean i guess everywhere can be unsafe if you do things that are really really stupid and illogical but uh, you know as long as you're reasonably paying attention to what you're, what you're doing and where, um, I, I was not really ever concerned for my safety okay. my time there. Okay. And what did you do in your spare time? Right. So as far as I understand, when you went there, you didn't really know anyone except for maybe the neighbor, neighbor's son who was already working at that organization that you went to first. So what did you do in your spare time? Um, so initially not a whole lot. Um, I had gone, there were a couple of other volunteers, uh, working on, on the same, that we were working together and we were also living together. And about a month in our, um, we had a contact in the U S a mentor and he was asking us a very similar question. So what are you doing in your spare time? And we had no answer. And so he mm-hmm. told us we needed to, you know, get out and do something and make friends and make contacts and, yeah. and all of this. Um, and so it took a little while um, for us to to figure out what we could do, um, <laughs> where we could go, and all of those things. Um, but we did eventually kind of go out, make friends. Dar es Salaam is on the coast, and so we would go to the beach, um, which was nice. Yeah. No, I mean, I would imagine that one of the biggest, I would say, high points of something like this is that you would meet people who are so different from you, right? So even the volunteers, I would imagine, are probably not all Americans. They're probably from a lot of different countries around the world. And then, of course, you're in a different country. So a big part of the a big portion of the people that you're working with are anyway from a different country. So was was that something that you enjoyed? Yeah, I really liked meeting meeting people from really all over the world. Um, so certainly a lot of people from Tanzania, but also, you know, there are in many cities kind of, uh, there are a lot of expats living and in, in working in different places. And so meeting people from other people from the U.S. or people from Europe or other parts of Africa um, and Asia 
really just coming coming from all over the world doing a whole lot of different things and so you'd meet people that were you know working in oil and gas or people working in development or people working in marketing and and really just people doing all sorts of different things all sorts of different backgrounds and a, a really great community of, of people yeah yeah okay and then so again let's go back to now your project so you were now you're doing something with acumen fund and that lasted for a few months and then after that it seems you joined the 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 enterprise fund right the africa challenge enterprise fund um there was actually one more volunteer project that i did in between hmm. um which was with an organization called technoserve okay and they actually might be really interesting for your listeners um, because they have a volunteer consultant program um, and they, they look for people. I, I, it's quite competitive, I think, but they look, they bring in a lot of people that are kind of formerly consultants or um, working in all sorts of different sectors that have some work experience to come in and work on, work on a specific project for a couple of months and they work all over the world. Um, but I had met someone at that organization through the work that I was doing with Acumen and they were looking for someone to manage a research project for them, um, which I did for a couple of months. And, and in the time that I was there, I actually met the person that I eventually went in and worked with at KPMG, which was managing the Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund because she had previously worked at Technoserve. Got it. Um, so you, it really becomes very much about about who you know, who you know, um, and, yeah. and getting a network, a good network of people. I mean, that is one theme that I've heard across this and every single episode in this podcast. <laughs> but but uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about what this TechnoServe project was about? Yeah, I. So TechnoServe, like a lot of other NGOs in. I imagine all over the world, but certainly in Tanzania, worked with a lot of groups of farmers. And so it was much easier for them to implement a project through a farmer groups and through a bunch of individual farmers. And so they had over a number of years been working to establish and create farmer groups. And the, the person who was running the organization at the time had worked in Tanzania maybe five or 10 years earlier and had come back and was really disappointed to see that farmer groups really weren't doing that well. And so they wanted to look into what makes a farmer group successful and what causes it to fail. Um, and so I had met her through the work that I was doing with Acumen and we started talking about this in that meeting. And then a couple of months later, they actually had some some funding available to bring someone in for a couple of months to actually look into this. I see. So, and what's a farmer group again? Um, it's a, it's essentially just a group of farmers that's organized sometimes very loosely and sometimes actually has a legal entity. It's a it's a bit like a cooperative, which might be okay. more yeah familiar. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I mean, basically, it's a group that that it's a self-sustaining group of people that help each other out. Uh, I've heard of the term in microfinancing as an example. Yeah, yeah. So it's used a lot in microfinance and actually used much more successfully in a lot of ways in microfinance. Okay. Um, but so it should be it should be self-sustaining. But part of the, the research was looking at actually why are they not so self-sustaining um, in a lot of cases. Okay. So. All right. And so after this, so you, so you worked in Technos, and for how long? 
were you doing this project for Technosurf? I think it was about three months. Okay. And then you then you said that you moved into KPMG to manage the Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund in Tanzania. Yes. So I started I, I started with KPMG and I actually started in a, a different role, um, working on the Africa Enterprise Challenge Fund, which was managed by KPMG. Got it. Can you tell us a little so, bit about this? It's, it sounds very interesting. Uh, what is what is this fund and what was your role as the country yeah. representative for Tanzania? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the fund, it, essentially it's a, a pool of funds from various donors that's available to private businesses through business plan competitions um, and looking to, to fund businesses that have a positive impact on the incomes of rural farmers, rural communities. And so the program provided grants and zero interest loans to businesses that were the winners of these competitions. And, and it was primarily looking at agribusiness, um, but also renewable energy and then sectors that relate to those two things. So information services as it relates to renewable energy or agriculture and financial services. I see. Okay. I mean, it sounds so interesting when you talk about it. Was it was it something that you enjoyed a lot? It was. Yeah, it it was a really great to work with a lot of businesses in to understand to really get to see what they were doing and to understand and certainly not at any kind of detailed level uh, because we had um, when I left, 70 businesses that had been selected for funding in Tanzania and so it's a big portfolio, but to, to understand to some degree how the business worked, the challenges that they were facing, what was working and what wasn't working, um, and, yeah. and to really get to see into a lot of businesses in, in a way that I really like doing that when I worked in consulting. Yeah, and I mean, this might be a very naive question. How did you learn about these businesses? As in, as as an example, you know, in the U.S. or any country that has widespread penetration of the internet, you can pretty much Google for anything, right? So, if if let's say you're in a venture fund or some kind of an investor role in the U.S., you can simply search for companies doing so and so or whatever, and you will find a whole bunch of startups doing those things. Is it similar in Tanzania or or how do you yeah. go about finding these? I'm guessing it's not. So that's why I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. There were certainly, I mean, there are certainly some businesses, probably a reasonable number of businesses that you could find online, um, but certainly in a lot of ways, much more challenging to find businesses. And so what we did, and, and it was really helpful that the AECF had a brand name that people recognized, yeah. but we spent... Um, a lot of time on marketing and running events. We had a really great uh, team that did that did that and did the marketing. And so we did everything from press launches, newspaper and magazine um, ads, and placements of stories. Uh, we had we did TV programs. We did radio okay. interviews. Right. Um, we did things on social media. And then we would go around and we would have workshops in different parts of the country and yeah. invite businesses. So we'd, we'd talk to anyone that we could get to listen to us, people that worked, that consulted for businesses, people that worked at NGOs that worked with businesses, um, whoever it might be, to try and bring bring people 
to these events mm-hmm. to hear about the the exactly company. Yeah, no, that makes the, sense. So it's, it was much more a pull model from your side, right? Rather than yeah, rather than you just hoping that people are going to learn about you and apply to you. It was much yeah. more sort of making sure that people were aware of your existence, whether that was through events and other uh, traditional media outlets, etc. Okay, and if I understand you correctly, I mean you've you worked on many many projects over the five years that you spent in Tanzania, right? Are there any moments or experiences that stand out in your mind as highlights of your time there? Yeah, there are probably probably a lot, but the one that comes to mind and probably is one of my favorite memories of my time in Tanzania um, was when I when I was working with the AECF and probably my favorite and my least favorite part of that job was when I would get to go on field visits and visit the companies and visit people in that were being impacted by the company. And the I went on a trip really far out in the middle of nowhere. We took a several hour long flight and then we drove and then we took a ferry and then we drove some more and it just took such a long time to get there um, to visit the site that, that a renewable energy company had put up a small power grid. Okay. And was electrifying homes there. And we chatted with the company for a bit and they, they didn't normally run the electricity during the day. They normally ran it at night. But we were there during the day, so they put it on for us so we could see what, what was happening there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as we were walking along, we could see the the power lines and we could see whose homes were connected. And so we stopped in to talk to a couple of people and we, we walked into this woman's home. And this is such a cliche, but I still, I still love it. And she showed us into her house and she was so proud to be able to turn on the light. And we asked her what... Um, what she liked most about having the lights, uh, being able to have light. And she looked at us with the one of the biggest grins I've ever seen and mm-hmm. just said, I can see. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and she went on to say that, you know, her grandchildren could do their homework and their, you know, were, their health was benefited by using less kerosene and all of these things. But just that moment of seeing her just so, so happy um, and doing something, being able to, to have some involvement in some way and in, in doing something as simple as helping somebody to be able to see at night. Yeah, no, I, I think it is moments like these which make you sort of realize, really, truly realize just how lucky you are to even be born in a country like the US or the UK or somewhere else where you take for granted all of these resources that are available to every single person in in the United States or a big majority of the population as opposed to Tanzania and other similar countries where even electricity is like a big deal for many people. Yeah. And but you know like experience really an experience like that can really change you, right? Like do you think that your 5 years changed you in any way? Yeah, I think it changed me in many many ways. Um I, I think I'm probably quite a different person now than I was before I before I moved to Tanzania. Um, one thing somebody asked me this question actually recently, and probably the thing that I noticed the most is that I'm much more I'm a much more patient person um, because I, I definitely in that five years got used to the the much slower pace of life. Hmm. Um, 
you know, the, the very different sense of time. Um, it's much more, much more patient, but also, um, I think I have a different way of looking at the world than I did uh, when I left. I'm not sure I can quite put my finger on, on what that is um, exactly, but it certainly has, has changed the way that I look at, at everything. Um, when I go back to the U.S. or when I'm studying now and, and just kind of a different lens of looking at, at how the world works and what we can do in it. Is it, is it maybe that you have more compassion or just a more, a better sense of reality? I don't know. Like, Yeah, I think it is a, in some ways, a, a better understanding of, of the world. And it certainly is not, you know, of the whole world because there are still many, many places I haven't been. Um, but, but spending a long time in a place that's very, very different from where I grew up, I have a, a different understanding and, and appreciation for a very different culture than, than I ever really had before, even though I've traveled a lot before um, and spent a lot of time in, in other countries. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives, I think it's probably fair to say that I have a better sense of, of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think are the key attributes in someone that you think will enjoy doing something similar to what you did, working in international development, living in a different country and really trying to have a grassroots impact? What qualities do you think that person needs to have? I think it's really important that someone has a lot of passion for what they're doing. Um, There are a lot of setbacks, big and small that you face and, and you do, you face them in, in all jobs. Um, but it's it, a lot of times much more challenging when you're far away from home and when you're in a different culture in a different place. But it's also really important to, for someone to be self-aware enough to understand that their way of doing things is not necessarily better than the, someone else's way of doing things. And that just because they don't understand why someone else is doing what they're doing doesn't mean that that person is making a, a bad decision right. um, or, or doing something wrong. And so it's, it's something that I wish I had had a lot more of when I first moved to Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to bend the world that I was working in there to the American way of doing business and of working and probably would have gotten a lot farther if I had recognized that there was there was value in, in looking at things in a different way yeah. um, uh, I, I guess what you're saying is especially when you're going to in a, to a completely different country and you're trying to create some kind of a plan which would help people over there you need to be a very very good listener and observer because even though it might be helpful to have your external point of view, ultimately it's those people who have sort of grown up there and who understand the system there the best. So it's very critical to be able to take that into account when you're coming up with your final plan or recommendation. Yeah, it's it's very important to listen and to understand and to really, I think, get to know a, the place that you are as much as you can. Um, 
uh, one other skill that I think would really help that I don't think I really possess is an ability to learn languages. Oh, um, yeah. It made such a difference to conversations that I was having if I could have some part of them in Swahili before someone needed to translate for me. And the, the information that um, colleagues and even uh, foreign colleagues that spoke very good Swahili that, that people would share with them was mm. often different and much more um, detailed than things that people would share with me. How did you how did you learn Swahili? Uh, I I learned I had a book um, <laughs> that I went through painstakingly for the couple months before I left in t- for Tanzania and continued to go through. Um, and then we had a short course when I first arrived, and then I tried to learn for about a year on my own um, with some very patient colleagues and taxi drivers and people that I would just meet going around um, trying to do their best to teach me, teach me how to speak. And then eventually a year later I took a class, um, an intensive okay. course, which, which made a big difference uh, in, in actually being uh, able to speak. No, I'm sure. That, what were the like top three phrases that you felt were very important for you and your work? Oh, for my work. Or even um, like when you were there. In general. I think one, probably my favorite Swahili word, um, and that I still use because I would use it even in, when I was speaking in English, is karibu, which means welcome. Okay. Um, but it's just used constantly. So if you're going to do something and you want to invite people to come with you, you would just say, oh, karibu. Um, or if you're, you know, if someone says thank you, you would, could respond caribou or you, you know you're sharing food with someone it, it's just was used in such a so many more diverse ways than we use welcome okay. in the in the u.s at least okay um it's like a well-wishing kind of word yeah yeah um and there's a another phrase polesana which means kind of i'm sorry and my sympathies and all of those things wrapped into one, um, but could be used from anything from, you know, you're doing work. You've, you've been at work all day. Oh, polisana for your work. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. Or yeah. to, to, um, to consoling someone who's, who's lost a loved one. And so just a very right. kind of interesting way, depending on how you say it and who you're saying it to in the context. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. These were my two, two my, yeah. my most used. This is helpful. Welcome and expressing sorry for whatever situation someone might be in. That's good. Okay. And so another thing which I think would be very helpful if you can shed some light on this is that, uh, you know, even across the spectrum of projects that you worked on, you you did a bunch of very different things, right? So you started out with understanding how farmers can sell more of their produce. Then you were conducting due diligence for Acumen Fund on a certain business and then uh, and then you were just scouting for opportunities for AECF to invest in in Tanzania so you you did a lot of very different things right now let's say someone is interested in also having a grassroots impact similar to how you did how would you classify the different kind of profiles that they can consider profiles and do you mean like job profiles yeah 
like how how would you suggest that they sort of start up go about figuring out what to do i think one thing that's really important is understanding what skills you have and that you can bring to an organization and so what's transferable in your skills and i i don't think i'm not sure i initially did that very well um, and, and in that way volunteering to get a foot in the door was really helpful but i i know people that have gone about it in completely different ways and so didn't didn't have to go through that that process by really understanding what transferable skill they had that they could sell to an organization um i would suggest looking at at job postings and starting to look for organizations that are interesting in in terms of what you want to do and what kind of impact you'd want to have mm. and there are tons of nonprofits out there can you share the names of any organizations so for example technoservice one acumen fund is one any others um you know we we encountered everything from small local nonprofits to large international ngos another one that we uh, would see relatively regularly uh, was called SNV uh, from the Netherlands there are also a lot of work done by donors so the from the U- the US the USAID um the US mm-hmm. Agency for International Development which works across the world mm-hmm. um, and so there are lots of opportunities to to think about how the US spends its its aid budget um, there's also of course the United Nations and the World Bank and all of the mm-hmm. related organizations right. to, to those and there are just i, I mean it, a lot of what I know about is it relates to agriculture or to financing for agriculture, but there of course are, are so many organizations working in public health or working in education. And so there are, are lots of opportunities. And I think finding, figuring out what type of sector that you're interested in early on would really help to narrow right. your search. Um, and, and so you can say, you know, I'm interested in, agricultural development or I'm interested in health or, or education or mm. energy or whatever it might be. I see. No, that that's very helpful. And do you have any uh, insights in terms of what regions are more conducive for something like this? I, I think there are st- still opportunities in a lot of parts of the world. Um, certainly to, to do anything in Latin America you'd need to know how to speak Spanish, mm-hmm. which is why I've never looked for anything in Latin America because I don't speak Spanish. Um, and, and I think it's common enough to find, it's common enough to find Spanish speakers that you, you want someone who already speaks it before right. you go there. Right. Um, but there are a lot of opportunities in across Africa um, and across Asia. And I would Im- imagine even some parts of places like the um, Pacific Islands, things like that. Okay. And there are lots of organizations. Okay. But it sounds like thing. language is definitely something that you want to consider because that can definitely make your job a lot easier and you and help you be more effective in what you do there. Uh, yeah. 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 And I, But I think for, you know, if you're t- talking about a language that's not widely spoken outside of, of the region, 
you would not be expected to know how to speak the language. Mm-hmm. So in, in Tanzania, if you're applying for a job in Tanzania, you wouldn't be expected to know Swahili. Right. Um, but I think if you're applying for a job in El Salvador, you'd be expected to speak Spanish. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many um, Spanish-speaking people. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. And then one more thing, which, you know, if you, can, if you want to talk about it, which is just that you spent five years, you spent a lot of time there, and it seems that you had a very, very good time there, very uh, rewarding experience. But now eventually you've decided to go to business school and you're starting out. So what was your thought process behind that decision? Yeah, so I, it, it, it kind of almost com- feels like I'm coming back full circle um, in some degree. But in the time that I spent with the AACF and, and looking at all of this work that these businesses were doing and, and what I personally believe to be a, uh, work that will have a long lasting impact on the communities. I have come to believe that that business is a really great way to have the type of, of on the ground impact that I am really interested in. Um, and that I think is really needed for the world. And so working with all of those businesses and, and seeing what they were doing, I really wanted to be able to pivot back into working more closely with businesses um, and, and out of the international development sector. And so I think that there's a really great opportunity for larger businesses to implement strategies that are profitable and pro-poor and environmentally sustainable that I, I can see that businesses are starting to talk more, talk a lot more about mm. um, large companies. I'm, I'm still looking into how much how much they're actually doing um, versus what they're just saying for, for good PR. Um, <laughs> yeah. But okay. but certainly getting back more firmly into the business world is okay. something that I'm that I'm interested in and hoping and planning to do with with this degree. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And do you plan on going back to Tanzania or some other country maybe this time? Um, I don't plan on going back immediately. Um, maybe I will one day, but I think I'm looking at, at doing something new. I still have a bit of wanderlust that <laughs> I still like like trying new but being in new places and trying new things oh yeah definitely all right well thank you so much ali this was really very very helpful and is there any other area that you think we haven't covered or any parting advice you'd like to share with anyone who's interested in doing something similar to what you did i think i would just say be persistent and and use your networks and grow your networks and and talk to people. It's not an, necessarily an easy field to break into, and, and most fields I think aren't, so that's not surprising. Um, but if you're looking for a job on the other side of the world, it can be really difficult to do that from the U.S. without finding someone finding someone that you know and, and really putting a lot of time and effort in. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is good advice and a good note to end the episode on thank you so much ali and i'm sorry for keeping you up so late it's it's close to 11 p.m i think for you but this was very helpful thank you again for your time thanks for having me yep take care bye-bye okay so that was ali on the kind of things that you can explore if you're interested in creating an impact at a grassroots level and of course i hope you enjoyed today's discussion and if you enjoyed it as much as i did then you should subscribe to the podcast simply search for learn educate discover on itunes or soundcloud or stitcher or whatever your favorite player of choice is search for learn educate discover hit subscribe and while you're at it leave us a review 
You can check out our website at www.learneducatediscover.com where you'll find not only a list of all the past episodes but also show notes from each of the episodes and links to helpful resources such as sample cover letters, books that have been recommended by other guests on the show and other helpful resources. You can also sign up for our newsletter on our website so do check it out. You can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn educate discover all right that's it for today thank you so much for your listening and for your time and until the next one adios